Today's edition of The Farsight is brought to you by Remy. What would you do if you could control your dreams? Remy has offered listeners of The Farsight $15 off with the promo code FARSIDE. Learn more by visiting thefarsight.tv slash Remy. R-E-M-E-E. From Nashville, Tennessee, and broadcasting around the world, you have now crossed over to the far side. Have you ever found yourself in an awakened state of awareness inside of a dream? If you answered no, or even if you answered yes, but maybe you would like to know how to control when and how this happens, then our guest this evening may be able to help you achieve that very goal. Today, we are going to be discussing the power of lucid dreaming with Robert Wagoner. If you are interested in learning more, Robert does have a book out that he co-wrote with Carolyn McCready. It's called Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple. And you can find it by going to thefarside.tv slash lucid dreaming. And without further ado, Robert Welcome to the far side. Uh, well, good. Well, thanks for calling. Oh, it's great to have you here with us. Uh, all right, Robert. First of all, I know that, what was it? There was a report out that said that if we lived to be 75 years of age, we would have slept a total of 25 years. And I guess dreaming a total of 25 years as well. But what's the purpose of dreaming? Is it so that we can peer further into the complicated crevices of our mind and it's unanswered questions of life? Well, it would depend who you ask. Um, if you ask a scientist why we dream, they'd say that everybody dreams. We have about five dreams each night, spend about 23% of the night each night in the state of dreaming, and that it appears to uh, help with memory consolidation, uh, possibly with emotion, the processing of emotions, and it also might help with... Uh, creativity with creating new associations that prompt our creativity. But in any case, uh, all of us dream, and there's obviously a reason for it, but a lot of us who explore dreaming deeply uh, realize that there's more going on. We have dreams that on occasion seem to be precognitive or forward-looking, or we have dreams in which we achieve new numinous states or, or something like that. So, so dreaming, uh, this, all the results aren't in, and there's a lot to learn uh, yet about dreaming. Mm-hmm. There certainly is. Like you said, we've all dreamed. I've had my share of weird dreams, horrifying dreams, some prophetic dreams. Right. When we have a prophetic dream, is that in any way related to lucid dreaming? You know, there, there are two different things, uh, lucid dreaming and, and precognitive dreams. Uh, in a precognitive dream, uh, we seem to get information that has to do with a forward event. Now, sometimes it may be that it's just that our mind has picked up how things are going, and if things continue as they are, then this event is likely to happen in the future. So it might be that some precognitive dreams are kind of anticipation of, of what's going to happen if we don't change things. But then we'll have some precognitive dreams that are just so amazing and the information so specific that it does make you wonder if you took a look into the future. But a lucid dream is a dream in which we realize within the dream that we're dreaming. We see something that's so amazing or so odd, like let's say we see a pink elephant uh, sitting at the dining table and suddenly it hits us, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. Oh, this must be a dream. When we realize that we're dreaming, that, that's a lucid dream. Mm-hmm. Which part didn't make sense, the pink elephant or the fact that it was in the dining room? <laughs> that our chair could hold it up in the dining room. Boy, my, my, our, our chairs would totally collapse if we had a pink elephant. But, but, but you get the basic idea. A lucid dream is, are those when we realize, wait a second, this is just so strange. Oh, this must be a dream. 
And as soon as we realize we're dreaming, uh, then then we're having a lucid dream and can just do amazing things. A member of the forum that I run actually wanted me to ask you, what is the difference between lucid dreaming and astral projection in a right. dream state? Right, right. So, um, so astral projection or out-of-body experiences, um, you know, I'm, I'm just going to use the same term. I'm just going to call them OBEs. So, so think of this. An OBE, an out-of-body experience or astral projection, might happen when you've suddenly had a heart attack and you find yourself floating at the top of the operating room looking down at this lifeless body that the doctors and nurses are trying to get back to life. Or an out-of-body experience might happen when you have a car crash and you find yourself floating above the accident scene looking down at the police and, and everyone. Or an out-of-body might occur as you're falling asleep. So I, I'm sure some of your listeners have had this experience where you're kind of in that state where you're getting ready to fall asleep and all of a sudden you start to have this humming and vibrating around your body. You might feel this kind of funny energy or might even kind of sense that you're lifting out of your body and viewing the bedroom from a vantage point of six or seven feet above, you know, your, your bed. So, so those are all examples of out of body experience. But again, a lucid dream is realizing within the dream that you're dreaming. And so you can see in, in those examples of OBEs, you're not having a dream. You're, you've had a car crash or a heart attack or you're in that fuzzy state between waking and sleeping. So that's how a lucid dream is different than an OBE. I, I often tell people that, that they do have some similarities. They do have some similarities because it's kind of the movement of awareness, the movement of a consciousness in, in an alternate dimension. But, but they're similar, just like a cat and a mountain lion are similar. I mean, they both share that same family, the feline family. But when you get them down to that state of being a house cat or a mountain lion, uh, boy, there's, there's some pretty profound differences, and you've got to be aware of those. Mm -hmm. I know that you like stories of dreams and lucid dreaming. I guess it was several months ago I decided to take a nap in the bonus room, which is upstairs, I decided to sleep on one of the couches. Hours passed, and I woke up, or at least I thought I woke up. And um, then I started to no notice little things like a ball bouncing around with nobody around. Oh. And then I was thinking, well, what's going on here? And then I would instantly find myself back on the couch waking up again. <laughs> I, I woke up like five or six separate times until eventually I started to wake up, and I could see that my arm was moving but it was a spiritual arm or whatever, but my physical body was not moving. And I figured I must be in a dream. So as soon as that hit me, I woke up. <laughs> you know, you, you, you might've been in an OBE because I'll tell you, oftentimes uh, in an OBE kind of state, uh, sometimes you'll see this kind of, uh, um, I'll just call it an arm made of kind of uh, silvery, smoky kind of light. And, uh, and sometimes you'll see you know, your OBE arms or your OBE legs and um, kind of notice that they're, they're composed of kind of this sh shimmery substance. But, but, but in any case, it looked like um, you were getting a lesson and, and probably lucid dreams and OBEs uh, both at the same time. So that's, that's great that you had that experience. Well, I'll tell you, it was freaking me out because every time I thought I was awake, I wasn't. And then when I was finally awake, I was like, okay, am I really awake? <laughs> exactly, and, and, that, and that's that's something that all of us lucid dreamers uh, deal with. Uh, in, in fact, we have a thing we call reality checks. Uh, so, a reality check is just uh, something that you can do to prove to yourself that you're either waking or in the dream state, having a lucid dream. So, a reality check might be uh, you think it's a dream, but you decide to jump up and see if you can levitate. If you can levitate, then you know it's a dream. Or if you think you're dreaming but you're not sure, you might grab your finger and start pulling it and see if your finger gets longer and longer. If your finger gets longer and longer as you pull it, then you know this is a dream. So, so there's things that we can do we call reality checks just to be sure we know what state we're in. But, but it sounds like you had a great uh, experience. So that's, you know, that's, that's part of it. Having the practical experience 
uh, can show you so much about the nature of consciousness and also how mobile and aware it is. Mm -hmm. Has there been any scientific studies on lucid dreaming? And if so, what, what were the conclusions? You know, uh, I think that's one of the most fascinating parts about lucid dreaming. Um, even though it has this long spiritual history uh, in various uh, traditions, um, in 1980, this scientific evidence emerged. And, and here's what happened. Uh, there's various researchers, uh, Keith Hearn in England and uh, Stephen LaBerge at Stanford in the USA, and, and and both of them separately had the same idea that they believed that lucid dreaming existed. They basically knew it existed, but they knew it hadn't been scientifically proven. So what they realized is that in a dream state, we normally have rapid eye movement. You know, oftentimes if you look at a baby or look at your partner sleeping in bed, you'll see their eyes moving around on occasion. And that, that's what we call rapid eye movement, which normally denotes that they're having a dream. So they thought, could you bring someone into the sleep laboratory, put those little polygraph pads on their eyes that record the rapid eye movement, but then tell them, when you become lucidly aware and you realize you're dreaming, move your eyes left to right eight times. And when I see that on the polygraph pad, I'll know that's the signal that you're consciously aware and so Stephen LaBerge, he himself did this in 1978. Uh, the other researcher uh, had his uh, lucid dreamer do it in 1975. But the results came out in 1980, and this was the evidence. People were able to consciously signal with their eyes that they were consciously aware in the dream while they were sleeping. And this, this was just a profound thing. Uh, I had taught myself how to lucid dream in 1975, but I couldn't get anyone to believe me. They just told me, oh, it's a dream about dreaming or you can't do that because, you know, dreaming you're in the unconscious and you can't be conscious in the unconscious. But it was so great to see this evidence of this eye signal verification technique. And since that time, you know, there's probably been 50 or 60 experiments on lucid dreaming on various uh, using lucid dreams to study various things. So it's, it's really a fascinating field but it emerged from ancient spiritual traditions, but now it's something that's been scientifically validated. What was the experience for you which would eventually lead you to researching lucid dreaming? I imagine you must have had hundreds, if not thousands, of lucid dreams by now, but, but what began this journey for you? You know, what, what really started it, I was a junior in high school, and this was back in 1975. I was reading a book, Journey to Ixtlan by Carlos Castaneda. And so Carlos Castaneda was a UCLA graduate student in anthropology. He decided to study psychoactive plants like peyote and stuff like that. And he met this shaman in the process that he called Don Juan. And in this book, Journey to Ixtlan, Don Juan suggests to him that he become consciously aware in his dreams by finding his hands. And that idea had never occurred to me that you could become consciously aware in a dream or that you could find your hand. So, so there really wasn't any instructions. Uh, so th this is what I did. Each night before I'd go to sleep, I'd just look at my hands while telling myself in my mind, tonight in my dreams I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. Tonight in my dreams I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. Tonight in my dreams I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. And, so I'd do that for about five minutes, go to sleep. During the night, if I woke up, I'd try to remember if I'd seen my hands. On the third night of doing this, I'm walking through my high school hallway, and all of a sudden, just like they're spring-loaded, boom, my hands pop right in front of my face. Hmm. And I, I was so stunned to see my hands. And then I thought, oh, my hands, this is a dream. And it was the most incredible sensation to realize that these football player guys over there, they're just dream figures. And this wall that I know is a dream wall actually feels like the real thing. It was just the most phenomenal experience. I went on to have a very long, lucid dream. And um, at the end of it, I tried to go fine. And I flew about 15 feet, got so excited that I woke up. But that was my introduction to lucid dreams. And that was back in 1975. So I hate to say it, I've, I've been lucid dreaming now for 40 years, 
and it's it's just a truly mind blowing journey to investigate lucid dreaming. Mm-hmm. 1975. That's the year I was born. I'm not trying to make you feel old or anything. Hey, hey, no, no, that doesn't make me feel old. It just makes me feel more experienced. So. <laughs> more experienced than me, that's for sure. <laughs> but, but, uh, but again, back in 1975, so the, the scientific evidence didn't come out until 1980. So I had about five, five or six years there where I was basically learning about the dream state, learning about the principles, the rules, and all that kind of stuff, and just figuring it out by having these lessons in lucidity. And and that, that's that's one reason I wrote this new book, Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple, is my co-author, Caroline McCready, and I, we just wanted to give people some sense of the lessons that you learn as a lucid dreamer, because becoming lucid is just the first step. You got to know how to stay lucid and how to explore the lucid dream, and, and that's where a lot of education has to occur. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you co-wrote your latest book with Carolyn McCready. What was this collaboration like for you? Well, it was a lot of fun. Um, I've been out to London, where Caroline McCready lives, and uh, you know, sometimes when you're giving talks and you'll look out in the audience, and there's one person who you can tell is just getting it. I mean, it's almost like a spotlight is beaming down from above on that person. And that's how it was um, often when I give talks, and Caroline McCready would be in the crowd. And as I got to know her, and I interviewed her for my magazine, Lucid Dreaming Experience, I, I realized that she was really a talented lucid dreamer and had really explored it quite deeply. And so we got together and decided to write a book, uh, she was going to focus on certain chapters, uh, the uh, concept of emotional healing in lucid dreams, the concept of physical healing in lucid dreams, and, and also the concept of, of meditating, uh, that spiritual practice in a lucid dream. So she focused on, on those uh, chapters, and, and I wrote the other 10 chapters, and, and so that, that's how we decided to collaborate. But it's always great having a second opinion and and having another uh, pair of eyes and another pair of experiences to kind of look at what you've done in order to just make a better a better book for everyone. Mm-hmm. You just mentioned your online magazine, the Lucid Dreaming Experience. What can you tell us about this magazine? Well, the the one of the best things it's free. Anyone can get it for free. All you have to do is go to our website, luciddreammagazine.com, and and subscribe. It comes out uh, every three months. Uh, it's something my uh, friend uh, Lucy Gillis and I have been co-editing for the last 15 years. So we, we basically have about 60 issues that people can read through. But normally in each issue, I'll interview an experienced lucid dreamer. And the reason I do that is I want to give people a variety or a sense of the variety of the lucid dreaming experience because some lucid dreamers are artists and they use lucid dreaming to become better artists. And some people are really deep into experimenting with space and time. And so that's what they do in lucid dreams. And other people are really interested in healing in lucid dreams. And so when you get to talk to these various people, it helps lucid dreamers see all the ways that you could use lucid dreaming if you became good at it. And, and then there's also uh, a number of articles, normally four or five articles in each issue. And then the last 10 or 15 pages are reader-submitted lucid dreams. And, and we just kind of open it up, let people submit their lucid dreams. Uh, some of them are just extraordinarily profound. And some of them are people's very first lucid dream. You know, they just want to share it with everyone. And so the great thing about it, it's a whole mix. There's something there for everybody. And and it's free if you go to luciddreammagazine.com. You are considered by many to be one of the top experts in lucid dreaming from what I've seen. So what are your thoughts on using technology to help induce a lucid state? Something like uh, the recently funded through Kickstarter, uh, Remy, and then the grandfather of all devices. I think it was the Nova Dreamer. <laughs> right, right. And just to explain to everyone, uh, uh, Nova Dreamer was something that Stephen LaBerge uh, came out with, I, I think around uh, 2000 or so. And basically what it was, was a device that you strapped on your head, a, a sleep mask that you put on your around your head before you went to sleep. 
And it would pick up when you were having rapid eye movement, when you were likely dreaming. And then it would flash red lights such that you might begin, while you're having that dream, to suddenly see these kind of red flashing lights and realize, oh, this is a dream, I'm dreaming. And and so that's what the Nova Dreamer idea was. And it started out, uh, people had a fair amount of success with it. The only thing with it back then, um, it was a little bit expensive. Uh, I think it might have been around $1,000 for each one and uh, and that sort of thing. So um, about four years ago, this other group came out. I think they're called Bitbanger Labs, came out on Kickstarter wanting to create their own lucid dream mask. And it would basically flash lights in your eyes. But to make it inexpensive, it would not detect when you were in REM sleep or when you were dreaming. So it was just basically going to flash lights in your eyes while you were sleeping in kind of a, let's just say, a random pattern. So uh, it came out, uh, I think, on Kickstarter, if I remember correctly, they basically raised around $500,000 in advanced orders for the Remy mask. And uh, they they shipped it out to people all around. And, uh, you know, I'm sure some people have had some success with it. Uh, some people uh, didn't, just like everything. But there's always these new technologies coming out that help people with lucid dreaming. Um, some of it might be just kind of that expectation effect or that placebo effect that, oh, gosh, if I have this device and I have it on my head, oh, this is really going to help me have a lucid dream. And it's not so much a device that's helping. It's just that positive expectation, that belief that that will help. So there is a lot of technology out there um, besides these kind of masks. There's also apps that you can get that might help you with various uh, lucid dream mindfulness techniques. Uh, sometimes people use other uh, technology to help them become lucidly aware. But uh, but it, it's really exciting. And I think the fact that Remy sold a half million dollars worth shows how much interest and excitement there is just in this whole field of lucid dreaming. Because once you've had a lucid dream, it's really something you want to have again. What role does the power of intent play when trying to attain a state of awareness? Well, um, you know what? Uh, intent is very important. Uh, just no matter what, what we're doing in our life, whether it's our waking life or our dreaming life, our intent really matters. It, in, in the book, I, I talk about two different types of intent that you find in a lucid dream. So, so the first I, I call kind of a limited intent. So, so here's an example of a limited intent, and you'll see this oftentimes on lucid dream forums. Uh, you become lucidly aware. You realize that you can use your mind to uh, create most anything, and so you announce in the lucid dream, oh, when I walk into that garage over there, I'm going to find a red Ferrari. And so you walk over there to that garage, and you open it, and what's in there? A red Ferrari. And if you're a good lucid dreamer, you know it's a dream, so you just hop in it, start it up, and tool around the neighborhood in your lucid dream red Ferrari. So, so that's an example of, of limited intent. But in lucid dreams, you can also access a larger awareness through using unlimited intent. And so unlimited intent is when you can ask a question or make a request without knowing what the response is going to be. So it's just making an open-ended uh, request or question. So you might become lucidly aware, and I encourage people just to ignore the dream figures, ignore the dream setting, and just shout out to the larger awareness, hey, show me something important for me to see. Show me something important for me to see. And when you do that, oftentimes the entire lucid dream will change, and you'll be face-to-face -face with something that's important for you to be aware of or some issue that, that you should explore more deeply. And so that that's that's using unlimited intent. So intent's very important, and, and just having that intent to become lucidly aware is also very important because lucid dreaming comes easy to some people, but for the rest of us, it's something that we really have to focus on and persevere in. I'm just thinking about other possibilities of being lucidly aware. 
Um, have you ever heard of stories where a person went back into a past event, maybe even a past life regression while lucid? You, you know, um, in the magazine Lucid Dreaming Experience, uh, I interviewed a woman uh, who had used lucid dreaming to help her overcome uh, recurring nightmares from a post-traumatic stress disorder event. Uh, th- this woman, her name was Hope, uh, she had been an airline mechanic and one day she's working on a Boeing 767, I think. It broke free from its moorings and rolled across her legs as she watched. And, and you can imagine what a hor- horrifying feeling that would be watching this giant tire come that's knocked you down and now it's rolling across your legs. So she spent six months in the hospital, had uh, one of her legs amputated, mm. but she said one of the most horrible aspects of it was that every night she'd have nightmares, you know, just horrifying nightmares of something that was after her and she couldn't get away. And so, so she said it got so bad that she basically almost hated to fall asleep. So uh, she happened to come across a book on lucid dreaming. She read it. She remembered as a girl, she had lots of lucid dreams. She had normally become lucidly aware and go flying around the neighborhood or doing whatever. And so she realized that in lucid dreams, maybe she could get rid of these uh, nightmares. And so what happened to her? Uh, the next night, she was being chased by the monster. She thought, wait a second, how can I be running when I just have one leg? And she became lucidly aware at that moment. And this time she got mad and she faced the monster and just looked at it and waved goodbye as she took off flying. And she said the monster got this kind of befuddled look on his face as she flew away. But after that, the nightmares basically ceased. And uh, and so she reclaimed her normal night's sleep. But, but to get to your question about using it for kind of time travel is that I think it was about six or so years after that experience, Hope decided that in a lucid dream, she thought she could more truly and totally heal if she went back and re-experienced this event when the airplane tire rolled across her legs. And so she became lucidly aware. She remembered her intent. She suddenly found herself back in the situation and she said it was just like the real event. Here came the tire. She had gotten knocked down. It was getting ready to roll across her legs. And then she said it was really funny that what happened, you know how sometimes um, when there's nudity on TV or something, they'll put up a black box so, so the viewer can't see it. Mm-hmm. She, she said that's exactly what happened to her. As as she was watching this kind of real event rehappen again, all of a sudden when it came to crushing her legs, this black box appeared so that she couldn't see her legs actually be crushed like they had been in the real event. So, so in a, in a way she kind of time traveled. It's kind of like she used her memory to, to go and have that experience. But, but you have had some lucid dream dreamers who claim that they've used lucid dreams to uh, interact with past life selves. They've used lucid dreams to kind of go back in time to childhood events or, that kind of thing. And, and so it definitely seems like a possible thing that a person could do when you're consciously aware in a dream, but you just got to know how to do it. I've had several guests on this program. When we talk about dreams and the consciousness, some of them seem to believe that when we are in a dream state, we actually enter a different dimension. It, it's real, but it's different from this world that we are living in while awake. What are your thoughts on that? If anything, well, yeah, you know, um, one of the interesting things about lucid dreaming is you realize that that the state of dreaming is, to some degree, like an alternate reality. Uh, if you read my book, uh, our book, you'll see that it, the lucid dream state shows us that dreaming has certain rules and principles, that as long as you follow those, uh, that'll help you remain lucid. Also, in this alternate reality, uh, of dreaming, it's a place where time and space don't follow kind of the linear rules that they seem to do in waking reality. I mean, just think of a normal dream. You might be, you know, back in your hometown where you lived, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, you might be with your current friends that you have currently, and you might be talking to 
you know, an alien from the future or an astronaut or something like that. I mean, in a normal dream, time and space just don't seem like big deals. They're kind of very malleable. And so that's why sometimes in a lucid dream, people will actually seek out future information or information outside of their knowing. But it does seem that lucid dreaming helps us see that this dimension of dreaming has certain rules and is not always just a purely subjective uh, place. That sometimes it's a place of uh, where information and uh, and uh, encounters can kind of occur. So it's 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 really a a wonderful thing. When you're lucidly aware, of course, you can experiment and explore with these ideas uh, much more so. And now a word about our sponsor. On today's show, we are talking about the power of lucid dreaming. There are many different ways to help attain lucidity, and the usage of a mask has been shown to help improve one's ability to become lucid. Remy is a sleep mask that's been designed to help increase the overall frequency of your lucidity. The Remy mask supplies customizable lights that, when recognized by your dreaming mind, can allow you, the dreamer, to take control. Yes, you too, ladies and gentlemen, can take control of your dreams. Remy is not only thin, but it is also light and extremely breathable. In other words, it is as comfortable to wear as a normal sleep mask. Only with this one, it empowers the dreamer to take control, to become an active participant on the stage of subconscious theater. Remy offers free shipping to everyone in the United States. And listeners of The Far Side can use promo code FARSIDE to save $15, bringing the total price to just $80. If you're interested in learning more, you can go to thefarside.tv slash Remy. R-E-M-E-E. And now back to the power of lucid dreaming with Robert Wagner. In the world of lucid dreaming, what would someone such as myself, someone that might be listening that's never done lucid dreaming as far as we know, what steps do we need to take in order to move ourselves toward that direction? I know that you would go through and and you would repeat, what was it? You would repeat several words to yourself that you wanted to see your hands. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, 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 um, so, so in the book, we give about a dozen different uh, induction techniques on how to induce a lucid dream. Um, the, the one I mentioned previously w- was basically a kind of a induction technique that I invented, just looking at my hands while telling myself, tonight my dreams, I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. Tonight my dreams, I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. And And the amazing thing is, you're you're making your hands kind of a dream sign that'll prompt you into lucidity. So you might be having a dream and all of a sudden you're climbing a ladder and you see your hands and you think, wait a second, my hands, oh, this is a dream. Or you might be opening the door with your hands in the dream and you see your hands again and think, wait a second, this is a dream. And so in one way, uh, it's kind of like a, a conditioned response, kind of like uh, uh Ivan Pavlov did with those dogs. He would ring a bell when they'd give him food, and after a while he could ring the bell and they would just salivate because he had conditioned the response that they associated the ringing of the bell with the presentation of food. And so that's what we're trying to do here with this technique Mm. is the sight of your hands make you, the first thing you think when you see your hands is, this is a dream. See your hands, this is a dream. And so that's what helped me become lucidly aware. But for some people, they can just use simple suggestion, like uh, something like this. Before they go to sleep, just focus on this suggestion, repeating it over and over. Tonight in my dreams, I'll be more critically aware. And when I see something strange, I'll realize I'm dreaming. So tonight in my dreams, I'll be more critically aware. And when I see something strange, I'll realize I'm dreaming. And just keep repeating that over and over and over. And in the middle of the night, you might see something strange. Um, it might be uh, you see your deceased grandmother, and you think, wait a second, grandma's been dead 10 years now. Oh, this must be a dream. So so that's what you're trying to do with that suggestion is pump up your awareness, pump up your critical faculties, 
and that'll prompt you into becoming lucidly aware. But there, there's all sorts of different techniques a person can use, uh, some that are about suggestion, some that are about visualization, but, but there's all sorts of different ways. But the thing of it is, if you practice it nightly, uh, you're going to be much more likely to have success. Mm-hmm. You just mentioned that you may see your deceased grandmother, but what are the possibilities or what's the potential of having a lucid dream or a dream and you realize that your deceased grandmother is there or an uncle or an aunt, but that it's not really a dream, but more of a uh, communication from the other side? You know, this is a, this is a great point. Um, in, in my first book, uh, Lucid Dreaming Gateway to the Inner Self, I have an entire chapter on interacting with deceased dream figures. So I'm not saying every time it's, you know, it may be a spiritual encounter with a spiritual being, a person after they've left the physical world, but sometimes it may be a dream symbol. And, and so, uh, the interesting thing, though, for us lucid dreamers is that oftentimes we become lucidly aware when we see someone who's deceased because it'll just suddenly hit us like, wait a second, that person's been deceased now for so many years. Oh, this must be a dream. So, so I'll tell you uh, an example of, of how this came about in, in my case. Uh, back, back in 97, my father passed away and, uh, a few months afterwards, uh, I became lucidly aware and decided that I was going to go find my dad in, in the lucid dream. But, but it's really interesting. All all of the dream figures told me that it was a bad idea, that it wasn't the right time, and, and that I I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't mm-hmm. do it. And and, and so I, I listened to the dream figures because they were all insistent that it was a bad idea. And, and so I decided uh, I'll just let it be out. When my dad wants to come to me, he can come to me. So, so it was about three years later. Um, one night I'm having a dream and I see this ladder and coming down the ladder is my dad. And I become lucidly aware because I realized that dad had passed away three years earlier. But the first thing I started to do was laugh because he had such a bad haircut. And I thought, this poor guy can't even get a good haircut in the after-death state. <laughs> because my dad was one of those guys who, who would find the least expensive barber in town and basically go there and, and kind of, uh, you know, that's how he operated. So, so, But then it occurred to me, well, wait a second. Is this my dad as a spiritual being? Or is this my dad just a dream symbol, just kind of a projection of my own mind? And so, so that I had that in my 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 mind when he greeted me and we, we said hi to each other. And, and so, before he said anything else, I said, uh, "Wait a second, Dad. Um, you're from the land of the dead. When do you think Mom's going to pass away?" And he looked at me and he said, "Oh, probably in two to six years." And I I asked of what, and he said uh, a heart condition. And that really surprised me because my mom had never had any heart problems. And I asked him a couple more questions, and he responded. But then he told me to please be quiet because he came to tell me things. And then he told me some things about the family and things that might occur in the future and to be on the watch for, and and then said goodbye, and, and I woke up. So, so anyway, 23 months later, after this dream, my mom went to the hospital and almost died of a heart condition. Mm. And, uh, you know, my father had said that she'd probably pass away to two to six years. Then a few years after that, she went to the hospital again and almost passed away again of a heart condition. This time that was brought on by taking a prescription drug that they later figured out was actually harming people's hearts. And she almost died again. But she made it through that two to six year period and, uh, and continues to live to this day. But but what I'm saying is by by getting that kind of valid information, you know, basically it suggests to a reasonable person that you've encountered a spiritual being, the the deceased awareness uh, of of my father in this case. Uh, but but uh, I'll tell you, Bob. There's there's other examples that are even more incredible. Uh, I do an online workshop that goes on for 30 days uh, with a group called Glidewing.com, and um, there, um, I had one participant who told me that in her family, she realized that there was a family secret because at family reunions, there were certain uncles and aunts 
that wouldn't talk to each other or certain cousins that wouldn't have anything to do with certain people. And, and she could never figure out what this family secret was, you know, why there's this underlying tension and, and her parents refused to talk about it. Anyway, one night, uh, her deceased uncle appeared and she becomes lucidly aware because she remembers her uncle had passed away and that this must be a dream. And so her deceased uncle told her, if you want to find out about the family secret, then you've got to go to the county courthouse. And he told her what room to go to in the county courthouse. And then he told her the the number, uh, the identification for the file that she was to ask for. And, and so she talked with her uncle a little bit, her deceased uncle, and decided to remember this uh, information and woke up and wrote it down. Uh, later that week, she went to the county courthouse. She went to that specific room in the county courthouse. She asked for that specific file, and it was a file like, you know, XB729 or something like that. She said when she asked for it, they went and got her a file. They brought it to her, and she said it was about a about an inch worth of documents about the family battle over the sale of some family land. Hmm. And there, there was a legal battle because parts of the family didn't want the land to be sold and the other parts wanted to do it. And so there's this huge legal battle. But but think of that. In a lucid dream, the deceased uncle passes on information even down to the name of a file to get, you know, in, in the county courthouse. And suddenly that explains the entire thing. So, so these would give kind of examples of, you know, lucid dreams that, that make us realize that after physical death, uh, we might continue and might actually be able to interact with others in this dimension of dreaming. Now, this next one does not have to do with actually dreaming, but it was about 48 hours before 9-11 happened, and I, ju- I just couldn't sleep. For 48 hours straight, I just uh-huh. could not sleep. I didn't know what was going on. I wasn't tired. Yeah. And then the planes hit. Yeah. And, and I still couldn't sleep. Yeah. But, but, but it was almost as if I was getting some sort of information. I don't know what was going on, but. Right. Yeah. You, you know, uh, Bob, uh, about six months before 9 11, I started dreaming about it. Oh. And, and uh, at first, I couldn't figure out what the heck is going on because I'm one of those people who keep a dream journal, been keeping a dream journal off and on for, for about 40 years now. And, and so I could tell these were really strange dreams because, I mean, they were horrific dreams, but they weren't my normal dreams. I mean, I, I'm just a person who never has nightmares or any of that kind of stuff. And I mean, in some of the dreams, a voice would even tell me 911. Hmm. But at that time, 911 was just, uh, you know, it was a emergency call. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, but I'll tell you how this, it, it, it got to the point by that, the end of that summer, that August, I remember looking out the window and, and I, I told my wife, I go, look, something is coming. And, and she asked me, what do I mean? And I said, well, it's, it's like, it's like Pearl Harbor or, or the start of the Great Depression. It, some big event is coming. And, and my wife asked me, well, what should we do? And I said, that's the funny thing. It, it doesn't really have anything to do with us. But um, but when 911 happened, I, I felt like I had this uh, psychic weight on my shoulder. But but I'll tell you two things that were very helpful having this kind of foreknowing. One, um, a couple weeks before 911, and and um, you know I have the physical evidence to show this. Uh, I suddenly had the impulse to sell my United Airlines stock. I think I owned about it. $10,000 worth of United Airlines, but suddenly I just knew I had to sell it. And so I just sold it. You know, I think it was like $33. And I mean, that stock basically became bankrupt mm-hmm. uh, after 911. Then the other thing that was more important, um, I think it was June of that year, uh, my wife and I were planning to go to France uh, in September. And so I sat down at the computer in the living room and uh, put in the date, okay, we're going to leave, I don't know what it was, September 2nd and find uh, Paris. And and then we'll come back September 13th. And I put that in the in the computer. And all of a sudden, my body started shaking. And I thought, what the heck? And so I put, okay, we'll return September 14th. And all of a sudden, my body started shaking, like, you know, just like someone was shaking, shaking me. 
And I said, okay. And so I said, well, come back September 15th. And I put that in and my body didn't shake. Hmm. And so I thought, okay, we'll come on September 15th. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what happened was we were on the very first flight out of Paris, Charles de Gaulle, back to Chicago. If I had done those earlier days when my body shook, then we would have been one of the people who were, I think there had like 7,000 people who were on standby who had their travel plans all messed up. But instead, we were on the very first flight out of Paris, Charles de Gaulle on American Airlines. And I still have that ticket stub uh, just just as kind of evident. So, so that's kind of the amazing thing about giant world events like that. You know, you yourself apparently on some deep level felt it. You know, you, you didn't know exactly what it was, but but on some level you knew. I've talked to a lot of other people who had similar experiences of having dreams about New York City or dreams about buildings collapsing and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, there's there's people like me who are actually helped, you know, in a very practical uh, way by kind of having that information out there. So, so, uh, so I think sometimes when these huge world events are getting ready to start, uh, um, we do get that kind of foreknowledge, especially for some of us who are kind of more open to it and, uh, and, and have just become a little bit more aware of things. Mm -hmm. You had spoke about this woman who had lost her legs and she, she went back to that event to heal herself. Right. Would this, sort of healing process also help those individuals who lost loved ones on 9-11 or have, or, or, or even the veterans who come home and because of everything they experienced that the human mind, that the human body is just not built for, they now have PTSD. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, um, some therapists uh, who help people with post-traumatic stress disorder uh, have taught them how to use lucid dreaming, how to become consciously aware within the dream. So it'll end the recurring nightmares because that's one of the very common symptoms of PTSD. I mean, people wake up screaming each night. They don't get a good night's sleep. You know, some of them try to self-medicate themselves with alcohol so they can fall asleep or whatever. But, but when they learn how to become lucidly aware, how to realize they're dreaming, you know, when that horrible event, is, that horrible dream is replaying in their mind, oftentimes just becoming lucidly aware one time is all it takes, and then they get back to their normal sleep cycle, which helps them. But, but also, some people have used lucid dreams to overcome phobias. Uh, there's a guy who was in the special services of a foreign country, um, and in special services, sometimes you'd have to rappel down out a window and you know, down three or four stories of a building. But he had a fear of heights, and every time they had to do that kind of stuff, he would faint or he would throw up or something. So uh, he started in lucid dreams to just practice rappelling down buildings because he knew it was a dream and he couldn't be hurt. And after a few lucid dreams like that, he basically overcame his fear, his phobia. Uh, so, so there's all sorts of examples of using lucid dreams to overcome emotional issues uh, as, as kind of a medium for emotional healing. And and even with those people who grieve because they've uh, lost a loved one, uh, uh, oftentimes in a lucid dreams when you realize that you can encounter the deceased again, uh, you know, um, oftentimes it, it takes away the kind of the sting and it also gives you an awareness that there's a good chance that that even though you won't physically exist after this life, uh, in, in another way you you'll exist as a spiritual being, as a, as a mental being after this life. And and, and so so the, there's a lot of healing aspects of lucid dreaming to help people, whether it's through PTSD, whether it's through phobias, whether it's through anxiety, whether it's through grief uh, of a uh, of deceased loved ones, so so there's there's a lot of possibilities here. You know, one thing I found fascinating by reading your book is how the power of dreams and lucid dreams can 
play an important role in the creative process, such as with uh, Paul McCartney. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, the, there's been some wonderful accounts of people who've used lucid dreamings to access creativity and, and just regular dreams like Paul McCartney, uh, the, the music for the song Yesterday came to him in a dream. And, and he said he jumped up out of bed, he ran to the piano and he started playing the, the music that he had heard in his mind and, and, and wrote it down. And he, he went around and he'd ask his friends, you know, he'd play the music for him and he'd, he'd ask, Who, whose song is this? And the people would all say, oh, you know, we've never heard that before. It's, it's your song. And so f- finally he had to put some lyrics with it and he wrote the lyrics to Yesterday, which has become one of the most prominent songs in the world. But, but there's also other great examples. Uh, one of the co-founders of Google, uh, Larry Page, uh, at the 2013 commencement address at the University of Michigan, he told the group that when he was a PhD computer science student there, that one night he, he had some dream, he, he woke up from it and he started, he spent the next three hours writing down, uh, all the insights that had occurred to him. And, and later that became the basic idea of of Google searching, of, of, you know, using Google. I mean, it basically became the basis of a multi-billion dollar company. And, and so there's lots of incredible ways, you know, uh, that people have used lucid dreaming. Otto Lewy, um, he discovered the chemical transmission of nerve impulses uh, in a dream and, and won the Nobel Prize for it. And so there's a lot of examples of getting inspiration in the dreams and, and, and all. But in a lucid dream, because you're consciously aware of dreaming, you can actually seek it out. Um, I was on a radio show where a guy called in and said he was a novelist. And, and every time he got stuck writing a novel where he couldn't figure out what to do, he'd try to have a lucid dream. And when he became lucidly aware, he'd call the novel characters to him and ask them, what's wrong with this dream or what's wrong with this novel? And he said oftentimes the novel characters would tell him exactly what was wrong with it and show him what he could do to make it into a better novel. And so that's one of the beautiful things about lucid dreaming. When you become consciously aware, you can have access to that larger subconscious mind. It's creativity. It's knowing and really seek out some utterly profound uh, information and and new insights. So it's it's truly amazing what you can do there. Mm -hmm. We recently spoke about the limited and unlimited intent. What are the different awareness levels to lucid dreaming, and what do they represent? You know, that's a good point, because just becoming lucid, um, you'll realize that you realize that it's a dream, but if you're not careful, you can get sucked back into a regular dream, so you can lose your awareness. And also, there's sometimes when we kind of get that we're in a dream, we will realize that things are too dreamy, like we might see uh, our deceased aunt, and we kind of get, oh, yeah, I think she's deceased, but we'll just go go ahead and just treat her like a normal person because it doesn't occur to us. So it's kind of a a sub-lucid dream. We kind of realize that something's wrong here, that something's dreamy, but we don't become fully lucid. And then then there's what you could call super-lucid dreams, where we become consciously aware. We're so aware that we can repeat our phone number, call forth our social security number, all that kind of stuff, because we have such a incredible awareness of our actual situation. So there's levels of lucidity, which means that when you become lucidly aware, you have to enhance your awareness so that you can have as much lucidity as you can in order to proceed uh, and move along properly. But there's all different levels to it. And that's why lucid dreaming becomes a, a learning state. You, you become better and better at it as you go along. But at the beginning, you might have those kind of sub-lucid dreams or, or just barely lucid dreams that you're so your lucidity is so small that you actually return to a normal dream. So, uh, so, so that's why there's a lot to learn about lucid dreaming. Are there any potential side effects or negative sides to lucid dreaming? Say if you're aware of a dream state, but you can't control being murdered, 
<laughs> would it be likely to create a problem on the physical side? <laughs> well, when I give talks to universities and all, I'll tell the students, I'll go, look, if you can't handle waking reality, I don't want you to get involved in lucid dreaming. Because, you know, if you're severely depressed in waking reality or you just can't handle it, you know, why why mess around in another reality? You'll just uh, get even more confused or, or, or more concerned about things. So you, first, I, I encourage people to, when, to become lucid dreamers. you you got to be able to handle waking reality pretty good and feel relatively secure and, and confident in waking reality to move forward. But um, in terms of, of negative effects, I mean, for most people, when they become lucidly aware, it's one of the most exciting and adventuresome things they've ever done. They realize they're dreaming within a dream. They can go flying. They can walk through walls. They can talk to dream figures. They can do all these amazing things when they become lucidly aware. So for most of them, you know, they have kind of a sense of, of euphoria and, and joy when they become lucidly aware. But, uh, you know, just like anything, um, you know, whatever tool is, you can use a hammer to build a house or you can use a hammer to conk your neighbor on the head. <laughs> so you, you, you could probably use lucid dreaming for some negative things. Um, normally, you know, because you can do anything, I mean, there's things you could do that, that probably aren't in your greatest development. But I, I think as you get deeper into lucid dreaming, normally you're kind of instructed or you're educated that, that you need to go beyond uh, salience and, and not helpful stuff and move more towards constructive stuff. So, so you really don't see very many negative side effects. I, I just don't see that many people having lucid nightmares. You know, normally... When something means chasing you, what what I suggest, like um, one time I became lucidly aware and there was a big, angry, black Rottweiler staring me dead in the face, you know, kind of growling. And so what I did is I just projected love and compassion onto it. And, and all of a sudden it shrunk down to, to like a little wiener dog. I, I mean, you can use that power of love and compassion, that power of acceptance and, and really change uh angry dream figures into something more compassionate, but, but you got to be lucidly aware enough to know what to do. So, uh, so normally 99% of lucid dreams are full of joy and happiness and, and adventure. Uh, the 1% that aren't, um, you know, in, in my book, I give, you know, ideas on how to uh, proceed with that and how to, how to handle that kind of uh, negative stuff and, and work through it. Robert, during your time of collecting stories, has there ever been a story that you know of where a college student or a high school student will go into a state of lucid dreaming to further study for an exam, to continue <laughs> their education, if you will? You know, uh, I, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure there have been those kind of events and, uh, uh, I remember reading uh, one story, uh, and this came from the book Exploring the World of Lucid Dreaming by uh, Stephen LeBurge. Um, a lucid dreamer uh, in waking life, he was a software programmer. And so oftentimes when he'd become lucidly aware, he'd remember some problem at work he was having on some software code. And so he would call into the lucid dream. He'd call out for Albert Einstein to come join him. And so you can imagine Albert Einstein coming into the living room and he and Albert Einstein would sit there and work on this software code programming problem until the guy would come up with a solution. And then he'd tell Albert Einstein to go away so he could examine what he had written out there. And he said that when he'd wake up and take it into work, 99% of the time it was the solution to the software code program. Wow. So, so, so you can imagine, you know, if you're a high school student or a college student, uh, you can't figure out something in, you know, calculus or whatever that in a lucid dream, you try to figure it out. And, and I bet nine times out of 10, you'll come up with a solution, uh, for, for something like that. So, so I think lucid dreaming could be used as a way to help us become better, uh, at that. There's some wonderful examples uh, in Germany and, and elsewhere of people using lucid dreaming to become better at physical tasks. 
Um, in, in the book, Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple, I have a example of a, of a gentleman who was a, who was a graduate student in, in physical sports and sports science in Germany. And he had to take a class on swimming and, and the swim coach said that the guy swam like a stone. I mean, that's what a bad swimmer he was. But, but this guy, uh, his name was Mark, uh, he was a good lucid dreamer. So in his lucid dreams, he would practice his strokes. He would practice his technique. He would turn the swimming pool into gummy bears and swim through gummy bears. He'd swim, turn the swimming pool into yogurt and he'd swim through yogurt, you know, to kind of <laughs> build up his resistance and all. And he said after a while, the, the coach could barely believe what a good swimmer he was becoming because his form had improved so much, his time had improved so much. And, and so you can use lucid dreaming or that dream state as an alternate dimension, as a virtual reality to, to improve these kinds of skills and, and educate yourself. And, and, you know, this example of this lucid dreamer in Germany who became a much better swimmer by swimming in lucid dreams is just a wonderful example of how to achieve that. That That's a wonderful story. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, they did a survey in Germany and of, of professional athletes and of the ones that were lucid dreamers, um, 8% of them had used lucid dreaming to better their athletic performance. And so you can imagine if you're a downhill skier in a lucid dream, you could try out stuff that you couldn't in waking reality because it might blow out both your knees or whatever. And, and so they would try various things in the lucid dream state in order to improve their performance in the waking reality. And, and a lot of them really became believers that it was actually helping them perform better in waking reality. You know, j- just what you said, it brought to mind something that this could be used for good and for bad. Say a terrorist organization could use uh, lucid dreaming to carry out different tasks, see what works, see what doesn't, but also it could be used by our own CIA, FBI, the military. You know, and, and I, I wouldn't be surprised that, that they're investigating that kind of thing because uh, they, they have that project Stargate, uh, you know, that worked with remote viewing and, and various things. And so, so it's, it's one of those things. But, but the beautiful thing about lucid dreaming for most of us is you know, we can use it to access creativity. We can use it for emotional and physical healing. We can use it to understand the nature of space and time. And we can also use it, you know, for, for spiritual practices as well to, to, uh, come to learn about the greater uh, majesty and enormity of this spiritual world we live in. Uh, for, for example, I've, I tell people when I give lucid dream talks, I say, when you become lucid, don't go seek God because you'll just get so excited you'll you'll wake up. So, so instead, I, I ask him to try to experience the quality of the divine, like become lucidly aware and just shout out, show me unconditional love, something like that. Uh, a woman who had heard me talk in London told me that, that she had tried that. She'd become lucid. She shouted out, show me unconditional love. She said the resolving experience was so powerful in that lucid dream that when she woke up, she cried tears of joy for 15 minutes. Wow. She, she said it just utterly blew her mind, this, this feeling of unconditional love that came to her. And, and so that's why you can really use lucid dreaming for some truly profound, transformative experiences. And, and also you can use it as you move along in your spiritual path. One of the weirdest dreams that I've ever had it happened right before I graduated high school. I mean, just probably weeks before. I was sleeping in my bed, so I woke up. I was outside. I walked around the corner of the house, uh-huh. and, and there standing before me was the man known as Jesus, that people know as Jesus. Right. So I bowed down before him. I was afraid. I just, you know, whatever. And he put his hand on my shoulder, and he, the only thing he said was goodbye. And as soon as he did that, I woke up in my bed, and my bed was shaking just as if I had been jumping up and down on it. Wow. 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 It's, it's amazing. There's some wonderful stories of, um, of spiritual encounters uh, that occur in dreams and, uh, and really are very transformative. In fact, I, I don't know if I mentioned in this particular book, there's, there's one by St. Augustine. Uh, about this gentleman who, who was a physician in uh, Carthage, 
uh, in the 415 AD. And, and this physician in Carthage wondered, how would we be able to see in heaven? Because, you know, he'd watched so many people die and buried people and saw that, you know, they basically turned to dust. And, uh, and so he said one night he, he had a dream and he saw this radiant youth. And then the next night, he saw this radiant youth again and realized, oh, he's dreaming. And this radiant youth came up to him and asked him, where is your body right now? And the physician said, oh, it's in bed, asleep. And then the radiant youth asked him, with what eyes do you see me? And and he, the physician didn't have a response because he was basically lucidly aware uh, seeing this radiant youth. And so then the radiant youth said to him, so don't worry with what eyes you'll see in in the heavenly states, because after death, you'll have powers of perception just as you do in this dream experience. And so that was the message to the guy that he came to learn that, that you know, don't worry how you're going to see in the after death experience, because it'll be much like this lucid dream experience. And, and so that, that's a wonderful lesson, I think, for all of us that, uh, there's information and knowledge out there that we can access. Uh, there's there's spiritual awareness, spiritual issues that can be resolved, and that they can even even be resolved in a lucid dream. Certainly, we are all actors and actresses on an ever expensive dream stage, if you will. And, and I actually call this subconscious theater. <laughs> the theater of the mind. I, I think you're right. It, it is so awesome. It is so powerful that it can literally change our lives if we allow it to exactly exactly and, and that, that's why i always encourage people i say chance favors the prepared mind so if you want to explore lucid dreaming more you have to prepare your mind you got to get into the subject and learn about it and then you'll actually be able to use it for your own good to whether it's healing whether it's insight or whether it's spiritual growth mm-hmm Robert, I thank you so much for coming on the show with us today. At this moment, I would like to give you the opportunity to discuss anything you would like to with the audience. You know, um, just want to tell the audience, if they want to learn more about the books, uh, they can go to our website, lucidadvice.com. And if they want to uh, check out our magazine, uh, please go to our magazine website, luciddreammagazine.com. But how, however they do it and however they approach it, uh, I wish them the very best with lucid dreaming because it's really a tr- true investigation, exploration of our larger awareness uh, of our of our greatest and grandest self and, and also our existence as spiritual beings. So, so my best wishes to all. And Bob, thanks so much for having me on your show. 